Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. This is Joe, I'm your host today, and I'm joined by my compañero, James. Hello. Uh, Chris, our, our usual, uh, also third host, is uh, too busy uh, trying to coach up that kid goalie of the Rangers, Igor something, to be with us today, but I'm sure he'll be back for, for another episode. But we are ready to bring you another episode of Joe's Comic Corner. Yeah, like my head isn't big enough already, right, Joe's Comic Corner? Uh, featuring the first DC Marvel crossover, the mini event that is historically referred to as the Rutland Halloween crossover. So, James, uh, the books in question are Batman 237, JLA 103, 4207, and Amazing Adventures 16. So, I know you told me, uh, off here, you read a few of these books. What do you think about um, this quote unquote Halloween Rutland Vermont um, story? What was no, your first impression? Cool. I mean, it's very cool. I mean, I only, like I said, I only read the two books. So I read the Batman and I read the uh, Amazing Adventures with the Beast. So I guess are they are the sippets in the background of the Halloween parade, which is the crossover stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a continue continuation of are we seeing different scenes of the parade or is it like the same parade and it's just, you know, being featured within the issues? Well, this is the rub here. Um, I could explain this. I'm going to try to explain what happened here. I, I did some research on my own, but I also went back in time and shook my old gray-haired memory. And I remember being at the Phil Sulings Comic Con in 1972, the summer of 72. They were always held on the 4th of July weekends. It was my second Comic Con because 71 was my first. And I went up to Lynn Lee, who I knew at the time. Lynn even knew me by name. I had, I had made a pest of myself for a wow. couple of years at conventions. Yeah. And I said, Lynn, could you please explain to me what the heck happened in JLA 103, Thor 207, Amazing Adventures 16? And Len said that um, Steve Englehart, who was the, the author of the Amazing Adventure uh, comic uh, featuring the Beast, they remembered the great time that they had up at the, uh, at the uh, Halloween party and uh, parade in Rutland, Vermont, hosted by Tom Fagan. And they, and they had remembered they, they went up in 72 on, at the behest or at the... Uh, you know, recommendation of Denny O'Neill, who was there the year earlier. And that's where that first story comes from, the Batman 237, Night of the Reaper. But they said they just wanted to put together a story that was kind of interconnected. But hey, this is two different companies, DC and Marvel. So what they did was they put one over on their bosses. And it all, if you read the story very carefully, this is what I'm talking, he says it kind of makes sense with the car. And basically, Glynis is the, uh, is the key. That's Glenn's wife, uh, Glenn's wife at the time. Okay. And um, if you follow the car coming to town and what happens to the car and the car leaving town, and if you follow Glynis's story, it kind of connects. So, yes, the things that go on in the background are all connected. Uh, there's the scenes at uh, Tom Fagan's house in the, in the Amazing Adventure story where, if you look closely in Amazing Adventure 16, you will see Len and Denny O'Neill in, 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 in the crowd. And, of course, the four participants, uh, Steve Englehart, Jerry Conway, and Lennon Glennis Ween, uh, they're, the, they're the thread, the through thread, through the four story, the three stories, I should say, that uh, bring the reader into, into the story. They're the point of view characters that bring us into this wacky Halloween uh, special that features the juggernaut, Felix Faust, Loki, uh, you know, Thor, the Justice League. <laughs> And Hank McCoy. So that's kind of what I remember Len telling me, and it's, I more or less cooperated when I did my little research. So that's, no, very, very, that's the derivation of the story. 
It's very cool. It's very cool. I mean, I, I guess I guess they I guess they're the through line though. I guess they don't because um, I couldn't tell from reading the Beast episode, the Beast issue. Because I'm, I'm assuming the Batman issue is the first book, right, of the yep. of the quadrilogy, if you will. And um, it's, yeah, it's kind of like the prologue that happened a year before in real time. That was October 1971, and the other three books were October the following year. Okay, but the but it's not like because the Beast one doesn't make reference to things that are going on with the Reaper and stuff. It's just the characters in the parade, not so much no. the stories of the comic book characters that happen near the parade. But if you remember, if you read you, you read the uh, Justice League one, I did not did read you? the Justice League. Okay, one. in the Justice League one, uh, as they're getting out of the car, the car the car has constantly has problems. It's it it's, it's, it loses a, uh, an exhaust. Uh, it, it's, it's a it's a it's referred to as a Mustang in the Amazing Adventure 16, and then it kind of morphs into just a generic sedan for the other two stories. So I don't know if the artists were in on the joke that the three writers were, were, were trying to uh, put over on their, on their bosses. But uh, as they get out of the car in JLA 103, Jerry, who was there a year earlier in the Batman 237 story, uh, he's walking down the street with Dick Grayson and Al Weiss and another uh, member of... of uh, another comic book pro, Al Weiss being a, also a comic book pro at the time, he says, oh, I hope I don't have the problems I had last year. So, um, in Glenn Wein references Batman 237 in, uh, in Justice League 103, but oh, you don't right. have to read 237 to get the full uh, brunt of this story. No, it's just like, call it like, a, like I said, a prologue or a precursor to this, to this storyline. No, it's a very, like I said, it's a very cool idea. I, I mean, obviously, I guess we're, we'll probably start with talking about the Batman issue, um, the one I read. It, it's, I mean, obviously, it's uh, Neil Adams' art, which is beautiful. I mean, oh, yes. It's uh, cinema, cinematic in, in scope, and it's uh, colored beautifully, and it's inked beautifully. It's, it's just a, it's a masterpiece every page. I was, uh, I was particularly, I was like, the, the splash page that he does on, like, page eight with the Reaper you know, over Robin is like a beautiful, like, pinup almost. Yeah, there's no words, right? There's no captions, no thought balloons, no uh, nothing. It's just a striking image of Robin about to, you know, lose his life uh, at that point. But, yes, it's uh, Den it's uh, Daniel Neal writing and uh, the great Neil Adams and Dick Giordano, uh, one of the, I think, one of the finest inkers and an artist in his own right that the industry has ever seen. And it's a beautiful comic book, which, you know, unlike the, the, uh, the next three stories the following year, this is a very meaty story, and it has a very, you know, very uh, uh, intense theme, uh, war crimes, ex-Nazi criminals, and revenge, uh, and all taking place in the, the quote-unquote haunted uh, New England woods of Rutland, Vermont. So it's a, it's a moody story, it's an action-packed story, and there's a lesson at the end that I thought was, uh, was, was, was very telling, and it has a very abrupt ending, which is the way stories did end back then. But it's still an excellent story. Yeah, no, I I, I really enjoyed it. I haven't uh, read much from this era of Batman. I mean, the, I've read it past like just the collected works of like you know um, Neil Adams artwork, but I didn't come across this story before. Um, I, I like the little humor within this deep story about you know revenge and Nazi war crimes. You have uh, mm -hmm. Batman's at the Halloween party, and the guy's like, "Your costume's really good, and your muscles seem good too." And Batman's like, "Yeah, um, thanks. I exercise a lot." That's that's the host, Tom Fagan. Fagan had started this this uh, Halloween parade, I believe, in fifty nine, nineteen fifty nine, and held it every year. And he had contacted DC Comics in the early sixties and said, "We want to do a parade up here in Vermont, and we want to make it a Batman theme." He would dress up as Batman. Uh, uh, most, most every year. Uh, so uh, eventually, comic pros started going up there 
and being part of the, uh, the, the, the parade and then the apparent uh, the 48 hour after party after parade party up at Fagan's 24 room mansion up on a hill somewhere outside of Rutland, Vermont. The, the whole setting is just bizarre and so cool. It really is. It's, yeah, uh, it's, it's wonderful. And uh, I mean, I like all the all the all the different costumes that Neil puts in the uh, in the background when you're at the at the float, and then you're at the parade. He's got you know, he's got he's got all the DC people there, but he's uh, you know we got um, oh, who do we have? We have Captain America in the background right. there, and we have Havoc in the background there, which is yep. an interesting choice. Which maybe I guess maybe it was just true to life. Maybe it's because I was like Havoc, like that's an interesting poll. Um, he's got Spider Man in the background, Thor. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh yeah, they're all there. And in and, and the Justice League book, uh, this I'm looking at page 11 right now, where the Flash Barry Allen uh, has to take on Supergirl, who is the, who is really Glynis Glynis Wing wearing a, a a blonde wig, Adam Strange, and somebody called Commando America, who's obviously Steve Rogers, Captain America, but his shield is a painted trash can lid. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all these cool little touches that that. That Lynn Wein, Jerry Conway, and and Steve Englehart put into these stories, and it's a you know um, on page fourteen there's um, somebody a Spider Man and Batman refers to him as the Web Slinger, uh, and uh, there's uh, Thor pops up on page sixteen in that JLA issue also. There's a, uh, an overweight guy in a Thor costume, kind of uh, I guess uh, you know uh, for, foretelling of what happened to uh, Chris Hemsworth and Thor. Uh, Ragnarok. Yeah. <laughs> that. So yeah, there's there's all kind of cool little things like that throughout all three books. It's just a fun story uh, where these three authors who were at the party decided, hey, you know, and like writers, you you write from what you experience in life, right? right. So they took this great this great weekend they had and they wanted to tell a story, and I think they did a very good job. And so, uh, yeah. just. Kind of something we were just talking about right before we started. Um, the Reaper character in the Batman book, uh, yes. I'm remembering it's similar to Batman Year Two, which we have to do more research on. But mm -hmm. it's not, I probably not the same character. But I don't know if they make any reference into Batman Year Two if it's inspired by this this Batman issue or if they just, uh, you know, as we as we've said many times, they just recycle ideas. So maybe they did. Yeah. They, they came across this idea and decided to use it again. So, but he has very a lot of similarities to the Reaper in Batman Year Two. Yes. Yes, uh, we'll have to find out if it's the same character. I will do some research uh, on that myself. Um, so um, you, the other the other book you so you read uh, Batman two thirty seven. You read the Amazing Adventures uh, sixteen, but you didn't get you didn't uh, you didn't have access to that Thor right? That Thor I didn't comic? get the, the okay. Thor comic is not available surprisingly on. Uh, yeah, it's not. I, got, I, I had to. Uh, so just the audience again. We always like to say. Um, these books I, I bought off of Comixology. Um, they were mm -hmm. not available in a collection, and they weren't free through Comixology. So, but they are available, except for the Thor book, is not available, and the Justice League book I just didn't get a chance to read before we recorded this. But, um, but yeah, the the Beast book is interesting because uh, I was, as I was saying prior to recording, I didn't really read any of the short-lived solo Beast um, series. I didn't really realize he had one. He had one in Amazing Adventures uh, after they kicked out. Um... The Inhumans had amazing adventures. The Beast took over for about, oh, I want to say maybe about eight or nine, maybe ten issues. I'm not sure, exactly sure, but he was in that in that book for a while. That was Marvel trying to keep some of the X-Men, I guess, you know, holding on to the copyrights, obviously, at the time, in the forefront. Uh, this is a few years before the the, the, the massive giant-size X-Men number one by Len Wein and, uh, and um, was it Dave Cochran? Yeah, I believe Dave Cochran, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this... 
that's what's going on there. Just because, like, I, having not read it, um, they, they're kind of writing the beast sort of like this um, uh, hero monster, a very a, similar of a Len Wein Swamp Thing type of thing, where he's uh, he's sort of like the Wolfman, I guess, almost. Yeah. Or, and uh, I was noting how humorous it was that uh, he wears a rubber mask and, and gloves to hide the fact that he's he's beast, <laughs> and no one no one notices it because I can't imagine how good that latex rubber mask was supposed to. In comic books, you can do anything, but in real life, well, yeah, I mean, latex rubber masks were, were a standard uh, comic book trope back in the sixties and seventies uh, for 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 heroes and, and heroines hiding their, their true identity over time. Um, uh, so that, that, you know, back then we didn't even think about that. That was, you, you, see a TV show in those days, especially an episode of mission impossible <laughs> and, and, you know, um, what's his name? Martin Landau would pull off a mask. He's, he's masquerading as some South American dictator. They have to take out and he'd pull the mask off and dun, 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 the music would roll up and they'd get out of town. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was all part and parcel of what was going on back in the seventies, sixties and seventies. Uh, I, I have three of the four issues. Uh, I did have that Amazing Adventure 16, but I sold those at Mint Condition Comics many years ago. Oh, okay. okay. But I have the Thor copy in front of me. And what's funny at the end of the Thor story is Loki's defeated and he's blinded in this story, which is picked up again in the very first, um, not intercompany crossover, but the first big Marvel crossover where Steve Englehart, writer of both uh, Avengers and Defenders at the time, uh, has Loki uh, and Dramamamu teaming up to um, have the two teams go at each other for their own evil ends. But Loki falls off a cliff <laughs> chasing after the car, and the car's being driven away by Felix Faust, who gets in the car at the end of Justice League 103, but he doesn't get too far because he gets stopped on the outside of town because the muffler fell off the car, and that's why the cops pulled him over, not because they recognized him as Felix Faust, arch-villain. <laughs> so there's all these really cool quirky, uh, funny uh, happenstances going on here that, that just, uh, I was reading these and I was laughing out loud. I was reading them again yesterday. I'd forgotten how funny they were and they're very enjoyable to read. So, um, yeah, and, I, and the Halloween theme, of course, is there. And um, to note, though, these are not the first Halloween stories that um, Marvel did. Uh, in 1970, in Avengers uh, 83, was the, the uh, Roy and his then wife uh, Jean went up to Rutland, Vermont in a story where the Avengers get involved with the parade. And then a year later, Roy writing the second episode of The Defenders in Marvel feature number two uh, goes back up again with his, his wife at the time and Doctor Strange and the, uh, and, and the Defenders get involved in the Halloween parade. So there were some precursors to even these stories. And I believe there may have been a few more after this, but then by the middle of the decade, I guess the uh, novelty wore off, so to speak. So mm -hmm. there weren't too many more Rutland Vermont stories. I'd like to see wow. them go back and do something like this. This is when comic books were fun. We need more of this stuff going on right now. That's what I think. That's just my, my opinion. So well, what, you know, do, what do you... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I said, no, this is classic stuff. I mean, uh, again, the, the Beast the beast issue is, uh, you know, it's it's a, I would say it's a mid-level story. I mean, it's the Beast versus the Juggernaut, and... I do appreciate the Marvel, you know, keeping within canon and continuity at this point back in the day. Like, it's picking up where we last saw the Juggernaut and, and mm -hmm. throwing him in with Beast. And then, um, so it's a good story. I mean, I don't know how many, like, you never think of Beast versus the Juggernaut in, in X-Men Clashes. So it's interesting to see, like, like you said, they were just trying to keep the copyright going, probably, to see, mm -hmm. like, this pairing of, of two uh, classic X-Men characters. But 
you know, it was a, it was a, it was a fun story to read. And think about this: the beast. Uh, I, I I didn't realize he was that strong back then, but I mean, he's taking on the Juggernaut, the Juggernaut who who um, fought Spider-Man and the Hulk to a standstill. You know, and I would think that Spider-Man and the Hulk are more powerful strength-wise than the Beast. But you know, at, at one point, uh, Hank rips off his, hel- his 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 helmet, right? And you know, and that's that's how you make him powerless. And then they're they're punching. He's punched. They're punching yes. it out. They're, he gets punched right through the uh, Steve's um, um, car. <laughs> that car takes a beating in, in these three stories. It's so cool. But yeah, the Beast was fairly powerful in that series. Uh, I guess they toned him down years, uh, later on. Years, I'm not sure exactly, but I think they did. Uh, and then we move to the Justice League um, story. Uh, the, the way the Justice League gets to uh, Vermont is via uh, the Phantom Stranger, who pops up in there, you know, in their satellite uh, headquarters, 22,000 miles above the Earth. He's the Phantom Stranger. You know, he's better than uh, any safe cracker in history. He can, he can go anywhere. And he tells him, he sells six Justice League as Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Arrow. Hawkman and, and Green Lantern, your lives are in danger. It all hangs around what's going on in the woods of, of, of Rutland, Vermont. you got to get there because Felix Faust is trying to bring demons into the world that will help him take over all of humanity. And uh, there's a little little uh, side story, a little, um, again, Len Wein told me about this at that convention. I went up to him, I said, Len, what's the deal with Green Arrow and Hawkman being so, you know, uh, unfriendly to each other? And, it, and you can see that in the story. They, they're, they're getting on each other's nerves. And he said, well, you know, we need to add some depth to these characters. They, 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 the, the word balloons can't just be all interchangeable. And we know that Green Arrow is a, is a, is a, um, a man of the he, uh, people, the hero, a uh, hero for the people, and a lefty. And we have to figure that Hawkman is a space cop, so he's going to be more on the right, more conservative. So that's why they don't like each other. And this seed was planted in this issue of Justice League. And for a good, well, I'd say the rest of the decade, it played out in Justice League stories and even into the, um, later on, into the uh, Kevin Smith uh, uh, Green Arrow book. Oh, where, yeah. they finally, where they finally made up, if you remember. But it, yes, I remember that. Yep, I do remember that. But, I mean, was that the start of Oliver's more, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, liberal-like side that was? Or was that already established? And that was... beef Hawkman up to be more of the conservative. That was, that was already established, James, yes. That was established by Denny O'Neill and uh, Bob Haney and, uh, and Neil Adams, who gave him his redesign, right? I uh, took him out of the Robin Hood costume and put him in something a little bit more fashionable, so to speak. Uh, but that character had already been established in, in um, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow, uh, Hard Traveling Heroes by oh, O'Neill yeah, and Adams. So, yeah. yeah. But Len decided to pick up on it and put it in the Justice League book. And, you know, great call. You know, so that's why Len, Len uh, you know, left us too early. Great comic book writer. And um, speaking of comic book writers, when you, you, when you bring together Steve Englehart, Jerry Conway, and Len Wein, I, I can't even begin to calculate the amount of output they, they did especially Englehart, especially Jerry Conway first and foremost, and Englehart. But at one point, uh, uh, Conway and, and Len Wein were, were editors at uh, uh, Marvel and DC. And, uh, of course, Steve Englehart is noted for Doctor Strange, prolific run, Captain America, The Avengers, uh, Defenders, and, and Wein and Conway wrote, you name the character, DC and Marvel, they wrote the character. So these are three prolific writers, writers at the time. And who are Fans turned writers, and they were getting to play in that sandbox now, in the toy box. And you can see it in the story. They were having a lot of fun with it. 
Yeah, no, so. yeah, definitely. But like I said, the two books that I, I read, very enjoyable, very fun. Uh, what's the? I guess what's the? Uh, since I didn't get to read the other the other two, what's the plot of the Justice League and what's the plot of the Thor one? Well, the Justice League plot is, as I said, it's uh, Felix Faust is is, is going to be uh, uh, taking over the Earth by calling six demons uh, from wherever, and they're going to inhabit um, people, uh, just regular Earth people, and that's going to be the key to getting getting uh, getting them into in, the rest of them into this world and him taking over. And naturally, one of the people they inhabit is Glenn Sween in a Supergirl costume. And so she's like walking around in the days at the end of all three books, like what happened to me, what happened to me? But you realize in the JLA book, you actually see her fighting the flesh <laughs> as Supergirl. Um, she's called, I believe she's, I think she's called only once Power Girl in the Thor book. And her costume is Supergirl's costume, but not with the S on her chest, uh, but uh, a G. Uh, yeah, G, a stylized G. So that's the, uh, the and in the Thor book, it's basically uh, the same plot loki trying to get revenge on thor and using demons and such and also calling up uh, uh the absorbing man crusher creel so thor has to polish him off first and then he's got to take on his brother and in that fight uh loki is blinded because he's got this sword uh what is it called again let's let me open up the book it's called the fire sword and this 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 fire sword supposedly can can even kill an as guardian so um there's all those kind of shenanigans going on at the time. Uh, and that story is more, more of a ongoing what's going on before and for and what happens afterward. So that's more of a, a part of a longer storyline where the JLA is a standalone story um, and the Beast's more or less a standalone story too. But right. uh, yeah. yeah, so depending on where, they, where you were then, uh, where the writer was, they had no problem inserting these special stories into their storylines and they would make them work. Something I don't think they can. They have the, the capacity to do anymore. Uh, you know, they have to do an event now, big event with you know, uh, uh, 80, 85 books you have to buy to get the full story. Well, these guys did it in three books. Yeah. Well, there's there's no um, there's no one shots anymore either in um, modern comic book storytelling. I mean, no, the no one does. Very few. Very very few. I mean, yeah. occasionally, occasionally, like there'll be like one issue that doesn't tie into whatever the trade paperback was. It was like a gap issue between mm -hmm. one story arc and the next one. But um, but yeah, you don't see like one-off stories that exist on their own outside of a larger arc of what they're trying to tell, so they can make a trade paperback out of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I do know that uh, this Thor is collected in uh, Marvel Epic Edition, which I believe I have. Yeah, I do have this Epic Edition. But I, I did pull out the regular, the uh, the uh, original comic, the uh, Justice League story. I'm pretty sure it's collected in in, in the Bronze Age Justice League run. Uh, you said the Batman's. You couldn't find the Batman story collected in the Neil Adams. Uh? No, I mean That's the Neil Adams. Yeah, I mean the Neil Adams one is organized just into volumes of Neil Adams' work on Batman. So I'm not sure what order it goes into. It's not like um, it's just Batman Neil Adams. But um, I didn't. No, I couldn't find it like easily collected. It might be collected on, on Hoopla, but I haven't I haven't come across it when I was reading yeah. the volumes that I was reading. This is fairly early in Neil Neil and Denny's run. It's um, this book came out. The on sale date was October thirty first, nineteen seventy one. They started working on the character and having it that were published at the end of sixty nine, in Detective Comics three ninety five, Secret of the Waiting Graves, was the first Adams and uh, O'Neill Batman story. So this is fairly uh, soon after that. So I'm sure it's collected somewhere. I hope it is because it's, it's a shame for people to miss this story. It's such a beautiful, beautifully uh, drawn and written comic book. 
I mean, it possibly is. It's just, um, it's, uh, you know, it, between like, like between like they do things by artist collections and then sometimes they do things by series collections. So it just, it could be out there. I just, it just on Hoopla also, I didn't have access to it. Or they sometimes on Hoopla when they do, as, as we've spoke about before with these epic collections and stuff, they don't always tell you the volume number and they don't always tell you the issues that are in it. That's, that's right. Yeah, they, they, you know, you know, sometimes you really have to do the, do, do the research for them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, like if you're going to put the stuff out, let, let me know where, where it's from and, and put. We talked about this before how the Marvel Epic editions are, are, are produced, not in numerical order. So there's a uh, there's a slew of them for Silver Age and then for for uh, Bronze Age and Modern Age, but they come out sporadically and they and uh, Silver Age Spider Man or Bronze Age Spider Man uh, number seven is out concurrently with volume 16 but that's not obviously that's not the the bronze age that's probably the modern age so uh, yeah i think they should just produce them and put them out numerically like they do at manga and it'd be a lot easier for people to follow but oh yeah that'd be great i mean yeah, yeah. I mean, nice. i'm not sure why they why they do that at, at this point at this point i would figure they're trying to they should be trying to monopolize their entire back catalog both companies yeah. and just put everything out in in chronological order yeah yeah so that when you go to the barnes and noble or wherever you get you know if you if you go to a brick and mortar store like when you look at that you look down that aisle of manga everything is there you want you want you want to read uh, my hero academia or whatever it's all there from volume one right right on down the shelf but not so with the uh with the dc and marvel stuff it's kind of like uh slip shot and hit and miss to find something so that's yeah that's, that's something mean, they need to uh... get their their house in order with I agree. I mean, not to go. I don't want to go too off topic here about this subject, but just, um, but just to ask you, Joe. I guess what Marvel does the epic collections, and what DC does the omnibuses, right? That is correct. But and DC does hardcover omnibuses and softcover omnibuses. Yes. Okay. And, and Marvel does um, the epic collections, and also Marvel does hardcover omnibuses too. I have a, a few of those also. Yeah, I have a couple of those. It just seems like it seems like the Marvel epic collections are. I don't know. It's been a while since I bought one. Bought one myself, but they're a little bit more affordable than the the omnibuses for DC are very pricey. Oh yeah, don't 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 pay full retail. Uh, as as uh, the late Don Amish just say, don't play bust out retail. <laughs> we would constantly talk about that. I if, when I buy a, an omnibus, I I look for a deal on Amazon, but then I, I say, well, wait, let me check cheapgraphicnovels.com, and they always have a better deal. You must wait a little bit longer, usually two weeks, to get your book from Cheap Graphics. But you'll get forty to fifty percent off cover price. Ooh, really? Okay, so, that's a good site. I, that's the yeah. first. I think the last comics corner is when you brought that up, or maybe yep. one of our recent episodes. But uh, was it? Was it called again? Cheapgraphicnovels.com. Okay, I'll have to check yeah. check that out. I check want to buy it out. Yeah. I think uh, at some point uh, I, I'll probably want to purchase the um, Alan Moore omnibus for Swamp Thing because I know mm. they, they they came out this past year. Yeah, I'm trying to think now if there was a uh, if I don't think uh, Len did a uh, a Rutland Vermont. Story in, in, in Swamp Thing. No, he did not. Uh, you've read all those, right? The uh, early. Oh yeah, uh, I've read. I've read. Um, I've read. I think the first four volumes. I've read everything up until the end of the Alan Moore run in chron chronological order, and then after that, it gets a little dicey. <laughs> wow, wow, yeah, uh, that's uh, it. Does so get a little dicey after that? Yes. So does the storytelling, but I mean, nothing against the people who picked up no. after Alan Moore. There were some good stories in there, but uh, it hasn't also hasn't been fully collected like they collected. Right. The, they did the first, they did the Bronze Age Swamp Thing Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3. Then they just recently released the Alan Moore Omnibus. And then they haven't, um, they haven't, I, I don't know if they have anything coming out yet on the the Omnibuses and Swamp Thing after the Alan Moore run. Which they should, because there's still a lot of series left before they canceled it or ended it. Oh, yeah. No, there is. I mean, and, and Alan Moore's a tough act to follow, too. I mean, the, you know, the people who took over after him may, may have been very accomplished, but they're not 
They're not Alan Moore. It's, uh, what can you say? Uh, a few facts. I got a few flash facts about these books sure. if you want. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear them. Uh, the Thor book uh, is uh, penciled by uh, John Buscema, who I think is one of the you know one of the finest artists uh, ever to grace uh, this medium. But it's inked by, and you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not here to dump on on Vince Coletta. He was very prolific, but we we've talked about Vince Coletta, how he used to erase um, some of the backgrounds from Jack Kirby's Thor books, and uh, there, there's a lot of haters out there for Vince Coletta. But he he does a little bit better job with John Buscema. I guess just Buscema didn't put as much in the background. But um, so this book is it's a, it's a fairly nice looking book, but he's still not my favorite inker. I, I still prefer uh, Joe Sinnott inking uh, John Buscema or his brother Sal inking him, but it's not a bad looking comic book. And um, on the Justice League book, this is one of the earliest um, Dick Giordano inking uh, Dick Dillon. And, and, and look, I'm not trying to toot my horn here, you know, uh, name dropping, but <laughs> I did ask Len about this also at that convention. And I said, Len, um, the Justice League book is looking, is looking a lot better lately. You know, I was because Dick Dillon was a fine artist, but he was, you know, quick and and reliable, but he wasn't Neil Adams or Murphy Anderson or Gil Kane. And he said, Joe, it's all Dick Giordano inking him, but Dick is really stepping up to the plate because he knows he's got a good inker now. And the two of them together are working so well. That's why you're, you're enjoying the art much better in, in Justice League than you have in years, because you've got a, a, a top inker on, on, on an artist who really, really needed somebody to come along and, 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 and finish his pencils properly. So, um, yeah, if you, I'm looking at the artwork right now in this Justice League book, and it's, it's uh, some of the best Dick Dillon artwork you'll ever see. And it's due in large part by his inker, Dick Giordano. Wow. So uh, those are a couple of my flash facts. I just wanted to get, get through there uh, on, these, on these books. Uh, I don't think I have anything for the, um, the Beast book. No, I know we've, we've said enough about the Neil Adams on Batman. You can't, we could go on forever about Neil Adams. Um, so this is your this is your second venture into the into the um, the Bronze Age. What are you thinking about the Bronze Age, James? I know it's great. I mean, listen, it's uh, I, I'll admit I haven't read much past, like I said, the, reading the Swamp Thing stuff. I haven't read a lot of Bronze Age material. Uh, I mean, I've read here and there. I mean, I've read some of the Neil Adams Batman stuff that we talked about, and I've gone back and read. I think most of the issues you spoke about when we way back when on our, on our top ten comic books and comic book storylines. Like I read Joker's Five Way Revenge and. Mm -hmm. And um, I read the Fantastic Four coming of Galactus, and uh, but yeah, I mean they're fun. They're fun stories. So um, you know, I, I like this comics corner is is good when we say we're going to do one, and uh, and and I have to go and try to I find the issues and I read them. It's a it's a good um, you know reason to not only just read them but then have an opportunity to discuss them with with someone with all your knowledge. So I, I thank you for doing it, Joe. Oh, you're welcome. And, and and I like the fact that you have to go hunt for these things. And you know what that reminds me of back in the day reminiscing about that comic book convention in 1972. I would go to a list, a handwritten list, or, or maybe on uh, on um, three-by-five uh, cards of what books I needed to complete my run. And, and, and you'd spend a good portion of your, your two, two or three days at the convention in a dealer's room, hunting through boxes, hunched over, hunting through boxes, looking for that missing Justice League, looking for that missing Thor, that missing Superman or action comics. So... It's um, these brought me back, uh, uh, you know, to well, 50 years ago. Right? Yeah. So I, I, I enjoy doing this because it reminds me of the days of hunting down the stuff. And that's part of the fun of this hobby. It's not just reading and enjoying these books, but collecting them. And when you collect them, uh, it was different back in the day. There were no comic book stores. 
there was the conventions and there was there was a few people who advertised in, in the comics that had back issues through mail order but you usually had to usually had to you know uh, pound the beat so as it were to find these back issues and that was part of the fun of, of, of this hobby so I just hope that people today are, are experiencing some of that I would hope that that's part of part of their experience because uh, I, I really enjoyed it back in those days I mean, there's some collectors left, but uh, you know, hopefully, people listening to this this podcast will uh, will will take a look at some classic books as they as you do these episodes and as they come up, they'll be highlighting books that people should go check out and read. Yeah, go to your LCS. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of them. We have a few here on Long Island that that have a great back stock back collection back stock collections. Grasshopper Comics for one. Uh, Go, go, go see John. He's a great guy. And uh, he's got a great uh, back stock of, of back issues. And uh, you can find, you know, if you live here on the island or in the New York area, there, there are plenty of shops like that where you can, you can find uh, some good. And they're, they're reasonably priced. Once you get into the Bronze Age, you know, there's, there's keys, of course. Like You're not going to be able to afford Hulk 181, the first uh, Wolverine or Giant Size X-Men, number one. But these Justice Leagues and these Thors, um, they're in most people's price range. So, so you can hunt these things down and uh, if you can't find them in the collection. So that's, um, that would be my, um, my recommendation. Although I do have a, rec- I do have a book to recommend. Uh, I have it in my hand right now. And since we're in the Bronze Age and we were talking about Batman, I would like to recommend one of the Bronze Age omnibuses. Is that right? Omnibuses? Omnibuy? Um, <laughs> I never got that. It's like, here's some more shavings mugs from Mesh. If anybody knows Mesh, they know what I'm talking about. And in any event, uh, the Bronze Age uh, Volume 1, Batman, Brave and the Bold. Uh, this has got uh, Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito, and then boom. It's like, it's like um, culture shock or getting you know cold water thrown in your face. You go from uh, Ross Andrew, who I love, by the way, and Bob Brown right into Neil Adams. And there's about eight or nine beautiful Neil Adams uh, Batman team-ups in this book that from the from the uh, the Bronze Age that are just great, great stories. So um, and you can find this on uh, you, you know it lists here. On, the one I'm holding says thirty-four ninety-nine, but I know I didn't pay that because I did get it through Cheap Graphics, CheapGraphicNovels.com. We have always unofficial official sponsors, don't we, James? Yeah, we got a lot, a lot of those. Yep, yep. Plug it, plug whoever you can get the get the material from. Yeah. So um, yeah, but it's it that's good stuff. Uh, you have anything to, to recommend today? Um, let me see here. Uh, well, I recently read. I haven't surprisingly I haven't read this before. I read Peter David's Hulk Future Imperfect One Ooh, and Two. Good stuff. Yeah, really, really beautiful book. Um, Drawn by the great George Perez, yep. we've, we've spoken about in great length already, and um, classic Hulk story that they still refer back to, still mm-hmm. comes up, mm-hmm. uh, especially in a time right now where we have uh, Smart Hulk, a good Hulk, Smart Hulk story, good possible future, good alternate Earth, and uh, you know if you're a fan of the Hulk or a fan of like I think you know classic Marvel quote unquote canon, this is a good thing to pick up, and it's on Hoopla, and it's a uh, it's a very easy read, and the artwork again is beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can't go wrong. It, um, but but Perez started in the in the in the, in the Bronze Age. Um, I think his first work was on Manwolf, believe it or not. Oh. Uh, yeah, which was I think, and that's uh, J, J. Jonah Jameson's son, John John Jameson. So um, and then he got a gig on uh, the Avengers. Uh, he had a gig on uh, the Fantastic Four, and then of course 
his big break and the, the book that made him a superstar along with Marv Wolfman was the new Teen Titans. You know, that's what made him, uh, and he was, and I know Arco and I have <laughs> discussed this before, but I've done some checking and, and yes, the new Teen Titans by Wolfman and Perez uh, was selling or even at times outselling the X-Men of the day. Yeah, it was, it was, if not, uh, maybe they, they, they traded off a couple of months like uh, competing radio shows on sports radio do. You know, uh, one one book is uh, we we won that book, and then he comes out. Then the next book comes out for the fall. We win that book on the radio show. So this happened with comic books too. But the New Teen Titans was a, was a huge seller in, in large part to the the fantastic work of George Perez. So uh, yeah. So that folks, I think uh, we're going to wrap this up today. Um, now, James is going uh, to listen intently because I'm probably going to screw this up. But we want your uh, feedback. So, and James, please uh, jump in if, uh, at, any, at any second to, uh, to correct me. But I know we have a Facebook page, right? Yes. And, yep. that could be, and, and that, uh, that's the Facebook page at? Uh, it's Secret Origin Mint Condition on Facebook. You just can find our Facebook group. Okay. And Instagram at? <laughs> Secret Origins MC uh, yes. and Instagram. And people can also reach us uh, through, uh, is there any other way they can reach us uh, now? If they want to give us, a, if you want to message us directly on the Facebook page or yes. on the Instagram, you can email us at secretoriginsmc at gmail.com. Yes, thank you, James. And, and, and we would look forward to your comments, uh, your criticisms, or whatever, you, whatever you have to say about our, our, this episode or our, any of our other episodes. And I would encourage you, uh, wherever you get your um your podcast to check us out. We have a, a huge back uh, uh, backlist of episodes up uh, for, that just hits so many different uh, ranges uh, and uh, uh, genres of pop culture. So uh, we would highly uh, and greatly appreciate you checking checking those out. So um, this is Joe, and um, wishing you all a um, happy Halloween. Because that's when uh, this will be uh, dropping, I assume. Yep. And uh, James, uh, what do you have? What else would you like to say? Would you close us out, please? Oh, Joe, thank you so much for for having me on for continuing to do this segment. And uh, I'll just add to it that uh, we recently had our big one year anniversary of the podcast. Ah. By the time you're listening to this, and uh, if you enjoyed this uh, episode, and especially if you enjoyed like Joe's Comics Quarter, we would really appreciate you um, if you could share this with other people who might enjoy listening to classic comic book talk. And if you are a part of any Facebook groups, our listeners, and think other people might join in, we would um, ask if you could share this episode so that we can continue to build the Secret Origins of Mint Condition fan base. But other than that, uh, Joe, this was a fantastic episode, and um, I, I look forward to hearing more Joe's Comics Corner. Thank you, James. I had a great time. As always, um, I appreciate your insight, and uh, and also you setting me up to do this today. This is this is a lot of fun. So thanks again. My pleasure. <laughs>